jasoncharles.net. Deep talk, talk, deep deep sounds. Both, three, two, one. Ready on the firing line. Put a record on. Check it out. Album Shots with Greg Kaz on jasoncharles.net. Hey everybody, welcome back to Album Shots on jasoncharles.net. This is Greg Kaz here for episode two. Like we did the last time, we're going to uh, go over tracks from records that I've posted on my Instagram page, the real Greg Kaz, separated by underscores. And we're going to talk a little bit about each one. Jason had said that he wanted to delve into a few things that he noticed in my feed that he would have considered relatively obscure, which I found so interesting that I said, yeah, let's do that. And let's talk about all of these quote unquote obscure people. And to start off this one, we're going to go with someone who kind of should be a household name, but isn't, even though her story could very easily be a screenplay and probably should be. Her name is Gloria Jones. Gloria, if you're out there listening, you should get to work on that screenplay or at least write a book because her story is pretty interesting. She started out as a uh, teenage soul singer in the early 60s. And she made one song that has since become legendary, but not in her version, a song called Tainted Love, which later, a few decades later, was covered by a band called Soft Cell, which I'm sure you all know this song. But the original is by Gloria Jones. It was produced by a Detroit producer named Ed Cobb. And today the song is considered a classic on the northern soul scene. Gloria, after this song, went on to record you know, a few more songs, but then she really made her name as a songwriter, especially when she uh, partnered up with a British emigre named Pam Sawyer, and the two of them formed a songwriting and producing partnership at Motown in the early 70s, which provided a lot of songs that were hits and great album tracks for everybody from Eddie Kendricks to The Temptations. And she also was a very sought-after backup singer. She was one of those women who came from like a kind of like a soul and gospel background that were very sought-after to be backup vocalists on both R&B and rock records. So this is in between being a backup singer, a songwriter, producer, and also somewhere in the middle of all that, she met Mark Bolin from T-Rex, The two of them fell madly in love, and she dropped everything to move to England and be with him. And I'm not sure if they technically were married or not, but they did have a son named Roland Bolin, and he produced an album for her. And she, by all appearances, was very happy there with him until the night in September 1977 that she was driving the car when they were coming from a party, lost control of it, crashed, and Mark Bolin sadly passed away but before all that happened before she left the states to go to the uk to be with mark bowen she released a fantastic album on motown in 1973 called share my love which we're about to listen to the title track to just listen how the whole 
almost black exploitation like arrangement of the extended intro just builds up and builds up before she comes in and uh, know that the entire rest of the record is just as good. So um, here's Gloria Jones with Share My Love.
John Gary Williams was a Memphis-based singer and vocal group member and songwriter who had a really, really nice vocal trio called the Mad Lads, not to be confused with the Jamaican Mad Lads who recorded for Studio One. This was the Memphis Mad Lads who made a couple of really, really wonderful records, including notably one called the Mad, 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 Mad Lads, which has two songs on it that have prominent samples that will be instantly familiar to anyone who loves Three Feet High and Rising by De La Soul. But all that aside, after the Mad Lads broke up, John Gary Williams actually did a tour of service in Vietnam and came back in one piece, thankfully, and began a solo career. And he made a solo album, a self-titled solo album on the, the Truth subsidiary of Stax in 1973, which is a really, really wonderful and overlooked record. And the reason it's overlooked is because during this period, Stax was having some severe business and financial problems. And much of what they were putting out never even reached stores due to a botched distribution deal with Columbia Records. But that's a whole other story we won't even get into right now. But this album has recently been reissued. It's a wonderful, wonderful record. The song I want to spotlight on it is one I've loved for a long time and which is extremely relevant in the times we are experiencing today, right now, right this second. And it was inspired by what he saw going out there uh, to fight a war that he didn't even really believe in, but he did do the service anyway. Uh, and it's called The Whole Damn World Is Going Crazy.
abomination In the holy, holy, holy land Lord, there's a man with a gun in his hand It's something I can't understand Love should be in demand Make a liar out of me Say Thomas Coke Escovito, better known as just Coke Escovito, is part of the Bay Area Escovito dynasty of musicians. A really great dynasty. Coke is a singer, percussionist, songwriter. His brother Pete is another singer, percussionist, songwriter. And uh, Pete's daughter, Sheila, may be familiar to some of you as Sheila E. And also they have a cousin named Alejandro Escovedo who's a very highly respected singer-songwriter on the Americana scene. Both the Escovedo brothers had played a lot with people like Cal Jader and Santana. You can hear them on the early Santana albums and the Cal Jader records from that sort of early 70s period. Coke then formed a band called Azteca, which released two albums on Columbia. Really, really amazing records, worth rediscovering as well. And then he, a few years later, signed to Mercury and made this album called simply Coke. It's interesting because he's got a lot of the best Bay Area jazz and funk musicians, session musicians on there. And most of the lead vocals are handled by Linda Tillery, who we heard on the last episode of this show. And Coke Escovito also has this interesting thing where the album he made after this has a famous dance music and hip-hop breakbeat on it, which every DJ has to have two copies of that record because of that. But the record we're going to play now is his first solo record. It's simply called Coke. It's a very wonderful sort of like Bay Area flavored jazzy funk album with a pronounced Latin flavor underneath with also some jazz fusion, but very soulful. And the track that I want to highlight is a song that is a legendary song written by Leon Ware and Pam Sawyer called If I Ever Lose This Heaven, which is probably best known in the version by Quincy Jones featuring Minnie Ripperton, and also another version by The Average White Band, both of which are classic. But my personal favorite version actually is the one on this particular album by Coke Escovedo. So here's If I Ever Lose This Heaven. Fascinating, how fascinating on the dark side of the moon. How exciting that I'm still writing the book of love called you. 
Taking me way up there When you're kind Extra kind Then suddenly you'll cross You're so moody Too good for me Still can't turn you off Doug Karn, this is a true legend of that particular nexus where spiritual jazz meets jazz funk meets progressive soul meets some other kind of like a spiritual searching thing. He is a keyboardist, composer, and band leader who released some classic albums on the Black Jazz label out of Chicago. And uh, his wife at the time was Jean Karn, who later recorded a lot of great music for the Gamble and Huff Philly International setup. This particular song that I'm going to play now is a really great one from an album he has called Adam's Apple, and it's called Sweet Seasons. And it's one of those songs that always just makes your day better than before you heard it.
John Martin. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, as time goes on, people are gradually coming to be more familiar with John Martin, who's a very singular, unique figure who comes from the world of British folk music. John Martin was initially notable for being the first white artist that Chris Blackwell ever signed to Island Records, which had up until that point been pretty much solely devoted to reggae and soul. But then Chris Blackwell started to cast his net a little bit wider, being there in London, and he started signing a lot of different sort of like rock groups and folk groups, Jethro Tull, King Crimson, Fairport Convention, and many, many others. But the first was John Martin. He was actually Scottish, but also spent a lot of time in England, and a very unique and soulful and quirky singer-songwriter in the folk tradition who also came to America with his then-wife, Beverly, went to Woodstock after the festival and made a couple of albums up there that were very, very wonderful. And then he went solo, again, still on Island Records, and made these very distinctive records where he was a folk artist who also had this kind of like psychedelic side to him and he had this uh, thing he used to run his acoustic guitar through the echoplex and he would do these lengthy instrumental excursions with these weird sound effects on his guitar. John Martin was a uh, contemporary and friend of Nick Drake. They were both exactly the same age, signed to the same label and from the same sort of like folk scene. One of John Martin's better known songs from his most famous album Solid Airs, the title track is actually dedicated to Nick Drake and Nick Drake is who he's actually addressing in that song you know that's usually the first song that the first record that people reach for when talking about John Martin if not that or the other song on there called May You Never which is best known by a, an Eric Clapton cover but the one I want to play here is from another brilliant album a few years later called One World which was recorded between England and Jamaica in a lot of very interesting different settings. There's a couple of songs where Steve Winwood is the only backing musician and proving to be very, very funky. But if you know his work, then that's not very surprising. There is a collaboration with Lee Scratch Perry on there, which is really great. There's an eight minute ambient track recorded in the dead of night outdoors, which is called Small Hours. It just has to be heard to be believed. Uh, the one I want to play, though, is a really sweet song called Certain Surprise that for some reason just reminds me of a lot of Brazilian uh, mid-70s MPB. Like, just the way the song flows, it sounds like something that could be on a Chico Buarque or a Caetano Veloso record. Uh, especially, you know, when the trombone comes in at the end, which harks back to, like, kind of older samba forms. I don't even know if that's what John Martin was going for on this track, but it's just the total effect, and it's a really wonderful song. And so, yes, any John Martin is always worth checking out. And his last name is spelt with a Y, not an I, just so you don't get confused. Here's John Martin with Certain Surprise. Surprise, I give you my 
Morrison, Walter Junie Morrison, usually better known as just Junie. Where do we even begin with this genius, this Dayton, Ohio raised genius? He is a multi-instrumentalist and composer whose very essence is imbued with the funk. And he was a key member of the early Ohio players in that he handled most of the lead vocals, wrote a lot of the material and was kind of like the key guiding force behind the Ohio players during the uh, period when they were on Westbound Records, when they had those albums Pain, Pleasure, and Ecstasy. After he left the Ohio players, he stayed on Westbound, made three absolutely mind-boggling and jaw-dropping solo albums on which he's playing every single instrument, 
being one of the first guys to do that, along with Stevie Wonder, Paul McCartney, Todd Rundgren, Emmett Rhodes, and I think Shuggy Otis. There's like kind of a handful of guys who were doing this in the early 70s, and I'm pretty sure Prince was paying attention to all of them. There's a lot I could play off these Junie solo records, but I think Jason really wants to hear this quirky little brief instrumental interlude, which I also love myself. It's called Johnny Carson Samba. I guess it's an example of the kind of like offbeat humor that distinguishes a lot of what Junie Morrison did. And it's basically an instrumental where if you could just imagine if Antonio Carlos Jobim had been born a black man in Ohio, the music he might have made, this is like about a one and a half minute taster of what that music might have sounded like. And uh, every time I hear it, I think, wow, wouldn't it have been interesting and really great if Jobim had been born a black guy in Ohio? Because this is just truly amazing. And it ends right when you're getting really into it. We'll revisit Junie's more serious works at some later date, but just check this quirky little track out. Nucleus was a British jazz fusion band formed by a great musician and writer and educator, a guy named Ian Carr, a trumpet player, who uh, was very prominent on the British progressive jazz scene of the 60s. He had previously led a band, a quintet 
with another legendary jazz musician named Don Rendell, and they had this group called the Rendell Carr Quintet. And uh, after five wonderful albums, which were recently reissued, that band broke up, and Ian Carr decided to investigate the kind of more jazz rock side of things. So we formed Nucleus with some of the best musicians in that vein that could be found around London at the time. The interesting thing is that Ian Carr was a Miles Davis fanatic to the point where he actually wrote a biography on Miles Davis. And the music on this Nucleus album will immediately remind most people of what Miles was doing on In a Silent Way and Bitches Brew. The funny thing, though, is that apparently none of the members of the band had yet heard In a Silent Way when this album was recorded, and Bitches Brew was still a few months away from being released. But it's funny, they inhabit the same sort of like musical and sonic universe, but it's sort of like they arrived at the same conclusion as Miles, sort of independently of Miles. And the guitar player is Chris Spedding, who interestingly enough later produced, he has a bunch of solo records of his own, and produced some of the early Sex Pistols demos. It's like such a crazy, like these crazy little family tree like connections and all this stuff. Um, Carl Jenkins, great saxophone player. Just a bunch of great musicians in this band. And this is their first album called Elastic Rock, released on the legendary Vertigo label. Um, the same label that gave you Black Sabbath and so many other bands. It's a really great slice of kind of like easy grooving, but very deep, early fusion, a la Miles in a silent way. So check it out, Nucleus Elastic Rock.
There's been a lot of talk in the last few years about our neighbors to the south. It's been a lot of sort of like, you know, where there's talk about borders and walls and who contributes what to what culture. This next band is a band called Louis and the Lovers. And uh, they're from a working class town called Salinas in Northern California. And they were discovered by Doug Somm, the legendary Texas troubadour Doug Somm of the Sir Douglas Quintet. And uh, these four young guys who were like kind of like, they were basically teenagers. I think the oldest member was Louis Ortega, the leader and lead singer who wrote every single one of the songs. Amazing songwriter. He was the oldest guy in the band and he was 20. So they ranged in age when they made this from about 17 to 20. They made this one album produced by Doug Somm, uh, released on Epic Records, and it's kind of really amazing how these young Mexican-American teenagers were able to absorb the culture that was around them and also combine it with the culture that they came from and write these absolutely amazing songs that seem to combine the birds with Creedence Clearwater Revival, of course a little Sir Douglas Quintet, with a certain Chicano thing, like a very specific Mexican flavor that they subtly interject into the songs. All of these songs on this record could have and should have been hits. I mean, I can hear them playing on the radio. I can imagine them playing them playing on the radio very easily. This song that I'm going to play is one that just is so uplifting and catchy and tight with the whole jangle guitar thing that later bands like R.E.M. took all the way to the bank. But um, check this out. This is from 1970, Louie and the Lovers, I Know You Know. Last time you just wrote me a letter 
Cornell Campbell is one of my favorite of the underrated reggae singers throughout history. And of course, there's no shortage of those, but Cornell's been around since he was a teenager in the ska days. And he's basically been through every phase of reggae that there is. He's got one of the sweetest and most soulful and passionate deliveries in the entire game of reggae. His stuff that he did when he was a part of the Eternals on Studio One and just, you know, the truckload of solo classics that he's recorded over the last 50 years since then are absolutely amazing. No true reggae collection is complete without some Cornell Campbell. This track I'm about to play is an interesting one. It's part of an album that he recorded for the famous producer Bunny Lee in the early 70s, in about 1973. But due to the way the reggae business was run at the time, it was never in the artist's favor. So um, Cornell recorded this album. Bunny Lee got a deal with Trojan Records in London, released it in London without telling Cornell. And Cornell had no idea that this record had been released overseas. And uh, they didn't even have a picture of him. So they just put an ice cream cone or like a, a Sunday float of some kind on the cover. So it's generally referred to as the ice cream album or the ice cream Sunday album. And it's a really, really wonderful album where he does a few covers of songs by another up and coming young reggae singer named Gregory Isaacs, who was still unknown at the time. But the really interesting cover that he does on here, and I'm going to leave you with this as a total left field surprise, is the surprisingly skillful and tender treatment. Well, the fact that it's skillful and tender is not what's surprising, but the fact that he's doing Stardust by Hoagie Carmichael in this particular way, and the fact that it works so well is what makes it surprising. And so I'm going to leave you with Cornell Campbell and Stardust. Oh, this is my stardust melody of love, another purple dust of twilight time, steals across the meadows of my heart, high up in the sky. The little stars twine Always reminded me That we're apart You wander down the lane And far away Leaving me a song That will not die Love is not a stardust Of yesterday the music of the years gone by Sometimes I wonder How I spend The lonely night Dreaming of a song The melody Ends my reverie And I am once again with you when our love was new and each kiss an inspiration but that was long ago 
Now my constellation is in the stardust of a song. Stars are bright, you are in my arms, the nightingale, tell this fairy tale of paradise where roses bloom, oh I dream in vain, in my heart it will remain, my stardust melody. For further information on any of these artists or records that I've just gone through, I write considerably about each of them in my Instagram feed. So just look for Greg Kaz, G-R-E-G-C-A-Z on Instagram, and it should pop up and um, knock yourself out. Until next time, this is Greg Kaz for Album Shots on JasonCharles.net. And I hope you enjoyed the selections. It's always fun doing this. Take care. See you next time. Oh, three, two, one. Ready on the firing line. Put a record on. Album Shots with Greg Kaz on jasoncharles.net. jasoncharles.net Deep Deep talk, talk, deep deep sounds. sounds. That was so deep.